I'll invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 11. Chapter 11. Once you've located that place, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And on the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry, and seeing at a distance a fig tree that had leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And he answered and said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. He was not permitting anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. And the chief priests and the scribes heard this, began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him. For the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they were going out of the city. Let's pray. Oh God, please be our teacher now by your Spirit. Open your word to us and open us to your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The message tonight is religion that needs replacing. We saw this morning Jesus approaches Jerusalem for the final week of his life on this earth. He comes in in a way that he is sure to be noticed. He comes in on a donkey, being hailed by the crowd as son of David, the Messiah. We saw in verse 11 that when Jesus came into the city, he went to the temple. He looked around at everything and then left for Bethany because it was late. Now, when we come to verse 12, Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem the next morning. And you may wonder, if he came to Bethany only to turn around and leave, why did he come? Well, if you notice in verse 11, it says he went to the temple to kind of look around. He wanted to survey the activity in the temple. What's he doing? Well, let's just say he's formulating a plan of action. He's surveying the activity there so he can plan his response on the next day. So as Jesus comes back to Jerusalem on the next morning, he's going to the temple. So the temple and the activity in the temple Remember, this is the last thing we're told. He's been looking at what's going on in the temple. So that's what's on his mind and that's what's on his heart as we come to verse 12. And we see two things happen in the verses that we read. 
Verses 12 through 14, we see Jesus' interaction with a fig tree. And in verses 15 through 18, we see Jesus' actions in the temple, what we normally refer to as the cleansing of the temple. Both of these instances are making the same point. They're conveying the same lesson to us. The religion of the temple is flawed and in need of replacing. The religion of the temple has become fruitless and corrupt. Jesus has come both to fulfill what the religion of the temple pointed to and to replace it. As I mentioned to you this morning, Jesus has come to be the center point of the religion of God's people. No longer would the temple be the center point, the heart of the religion of God's people. Jesus, the Son of God, would now be the heart of the religion of God's people. He would become their salvation. He would become the way to the kingdom. He would become the dwelling place of God among God's people. All that the temple represented, Jesus would become in reality. So what we see is Jesus coming to replace a religion that had become dysfunctional. And what I want us to think about tonight as we examine these verses for just a few minutes is this. If we're not careful, our religion can become dysfunctional. We can, we can allow ourselves to drift into a mode where we are religious without God. And we'll find ourselves in a place that our religion is one that needs to be replaced. And all that what Jesus does in this passage at the temple would never happen to his church because we've allowed ourselves to become dysfunctional, fruitless and corrupt. The, the message that's being conveyed in these verses is simply this. Jesus came to replace a fruitless, corrupt religious system. And what we want to do is avoid at all costs becoming fruitless, and corrupt in our practice of the Christian faith. Two things I want to point out to you tonight. First of all, in verses 12 through 14, we see religion that is fruitless needs replacing. What kind of religion needs replacing? Well, first of all, religion that is fruitless needs replacing. Verse 12, this is the day after the triumph and entry the next morning, they left Bethany on the Mount of Olives, crossed the Kidron Valley to go to Jerusalem. On the way, Jesus becomes hungry. At a distance, he sees a fig tree with leaves. 
He went to see if he could find anything on it. But when he got there, he found nothing but leaves, no fruit. Notice this what it says. For it was not the season for figs. Now we see in just a minute in verse 14, Jesus curses this fig tree. And you might wonder, why would Jesus curse a fig tree that doesn't have figs if it's not the season for figs? You ever think about that? It's not the season for figs. Why would he expect it to have figs? Well, let me point out a couple of things. Let's talk about the fig tree. The fig tree could grow up to 19 feet tall. 19 feet wide. It sheds its leaves in late November and sprouts new leaves in late March. After the fig harvest, which was between August and October, after that fig harvest, the branches of these fig trees would sprout buds. Now the buds would remain undeveloped throughout the winter time. But after the winter, these buds would swell and make small green knobs. In Hebrew, they were called pagim. That would happen in March and April. Now, followed by the development of these little green knobs, that's when the leaves would grow on the tree. The leaves would begin to bud and sprout. That usually happens in April. So here's the thing I want you to notice. These little green knobs would grow on the tree before the leaves. Which means, if you saw the leaves on the tree, these little green knobs, the pagim, should be on the tree. Now, these were not technically figs, but they are edible. And people did eat them in cases where they were hungry. And I want you to notice something. Look at verse 12, 13. Seeing at a distance a fig tree that had leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. Ask yourself this question. Why doesn't it say he went to see if he would find figs on it? Because he knew it wasn't the season for figs. So he went to see if he could find anything on the tree that would be edible, which would be these little small green knobs. Now, the fact that the tree had leaves means these knobs, these pagim, should have been there. Because they developed before the leaves. You with me? So when Jesus sees this tree at a distance and it's full of leaves, it's in full bloom with leaves, He knows there should be something edible on this tree. And the fact that there's nothing means the tree is diseased. Now, I want you to think about this. These verses, verses 12 through 14, are like a parable that is being acted out. Rather than telling us a parable, Jesus is kind of acting it out. Picture someone, remember this is time of Passover, all the people are coming, all the Jews are coming to Jerusalem for Passover. I want you to picture with me somebody coming to Passover genuinely seeking God. Genuinely desiring to meet with God and to worship God. And the temple is like this tree. They see the temple. 
and they see the leaves, and the leaves is all the religious activity going on in the temple. They've got the songs, they've got the instruments, they've got the sacrifices, all the teaching, they've got the prayers, everything that you would associate with religious activity, all of it's going on at the temple. And so this person sees the temple, and now they're filled with hope that they can come and they can meet God here. Right? This is where you come if you want to meet God. This is the temple. All the religious activities are going on. This should be the time. So the person comes to the temple expectant, hoping to find God. But doesn't. Religion is thriving. But in the midst of all of it, they don't find God. They find a lot of religious activity. All the signs of thriving religion, but no God. Nothing in all of that activity that demonstrates the genuine power and presence of God to change a life. This is what I need you to see, church. Churches can be guilty of the very same thing. You can drive up to a church, great big church building. Before you ever get in the parking lot, you see on the digital sign, it scrolls by all the things that the church has going on. You get inside and you pick up a bullet and you see all the announcements. They got every kind of you know exciting activity for your kids and your teenagers. They got singles groups. They got young couples groups. They got uh, addiction recovery groups. They got Mother's Day out. They got senior citizen trips to the mountains. And they got every kind of activity, all kinds of prayer gatherings and all kinds of worship services. And you can go and you can sit through this church. You can sit through the worship and the singing. And you can sit through the preaching and there be nothing of God in any of it. You get a lot of religion, but at the end of the day, the man stands in the pulpit and he gives you some pop psychology or some little feel-good message for the day and he doesn't really preach the true gospel of God with power and for all the religious trappings and for all the religious activity. No God. Great big tree full of beautiful leaves, but no fruit. Verse 14. He answered and said to it. In other words, he's talking to the tree because he wants the disciples to hear it. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. This is a double negative, a double negation. May no one any longer eat fruit from you ever again or literally to eternity. This is a curse. If you look at verse 21, Peter says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. This is a curse on this tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. 
And notice Mark tells us in verse 14, His disciples were listening. That's important because that lets us know that Jesus didn't say this comment just off the cuff. This was a teaching moment for His disciples. What is, what's happening here? What, what's going on Jesus cursing this fig tree? This is Jesus declaring that the religion of the temple, the religious system that operates in the temple, is now defunct. He is officially declaring that it is coming to an end. And some 30 plus years later, in A.D. 70, not one stone would remain of the temple. It would be absolutely demolished, never to be rebuilt to this very day. Jesus was announcing this fruitless religious system is now being dissolved. He is abolishing it. I want you to think about this, church. Oh, how very important it is that we remain faithful to God's Word in preaching and in practice. See, it's so easy. It's easy to allow ourselves to be reduced to just the center of religious activity where we just gather and we do religious stuff. We sing some songs, we say some prayers. But we don't really take the Gospel seriously. I know churches that to this day, they have good numbers and they have all the activity, but the man in the pulpit has never preached the Word of God in his life. But the people don't care. Why? Because they've got all the trappings of religion. They've got what they're looking for. They're just looking for religion. Listen, somebody can come to this church and maybe they can't find all the bells and whistles they could find at another church. There's nothing necessarily wrong with those things. But we have to make sure that even if we don't have all the bells and whistles to offer people, we have to make sure that when they come here, they can find God. You understand? Because all the leaves on the tree without the fruit is worthless. Religion that is fruitless needs to be replaced and stands under the curse of God. Let's move on now and look at verses 15 through 19. Religion that is corrupt needs replacing. Now as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, He goes straight to the temple. And I want you to picture the scene. The temple is composed, or was composed of several courts. At the very center was the court of the priests. Inside the court of the priests was the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was the place only the high priest could go once a year on the Day of Atonement. Well, the Holy of Holies was inside the court of the priests. Only the priests could go in the court of the priests. Outside of that, the next larger area was the court of the Jews. This was the court where only Jewish 
males who were ceremonially clean could go. Outside of that was the court of the women. This is where Jewish women who were ceremonially clean could go. Outside of that, the outer court, the largest part of the temple, was the court of the Gentiles. This was the only place in the temple complex that non-Jews could go. Thus the court of the Gentiles. And it was massive. 500 yards long. 375 yards wide. It covered some 35 acres. Massive. And I want you to picture going into the court of the Gentiles and you hear noise like, at a, like in a shopping mall. And what does Jesus see there? There are people buying and selling in the temple. Buying and selling animals and doves. There are tables with people who are exchanging money. Let me explain all of this to you. You see, people were traveling often from a long way off to come for Passover. Often it would be unfeasible for them to travel those long distances trying to bring a lamb that was without blemish for the sacrifice on Passover that every family had to make. So they would wait until they got to Jerusalem and purchase the lamb rather than trying to transport it. And they would purchase the doves for the people who were poor. And they had to have money changers because when people came, they had to pay the yearly temple tax. But it was only accepted in the currency of the temple. But people traveling from Galilee and all these other places would have different kinds of money. Just like if you and I went to, to London, we would have to exchange our money for British pounds. Well, the people would have to exchange their money with the money changers so they could get the coinage necessary to pay the temple tax. So the services being offered were in some sense necessary. You with me? Jesus' problem is not the service them themselves. He's not upset that they are people are buying lambs to be sacrificed and they're exchanging their money there's a couple of things wrong with it. Primarily, he has a problem with the fact that they are doing it in the court of the Gentiles, within the temple complex. And when you look at verse 17, you begin to see why this is such a problem for Jesus. He began to teach them and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? but you have made it a robber's den. In that verse, he quotes two passages from the Old Testament. The first one he quotes is from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. Let me, let me read it for you. Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them glad in my house of prayer, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. He said, even those I will bring to my house 
the house of prayer. Those, in context, he's talking about foreigners and Gentiles. He's saying in this verse, even foreigners and Gentiles will be coming to the house of God, the temple, to, to pray and make sacrifices because my house is going to be a house of prayer for all nations. So this is a promise of God that in the coming age, foreigners and other outsiders will enjoy full rights in the worship of God in Jerusalem. Here's the problem. The only place in the temple that Gentiles could come and pray and worship has been turned into a flea market. And it would be virtually impossible in that atmosphere to find a place to quietly contemplate God. To pray. You with me? And meet with God. It'd be like trying to have your quiet time on the 50-yard line at the Super Bowl. Forget it. And, and Jesus quotes another verse. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. To make sure we understand the context of it, I'm going to read Jeremiah 7, verses 9 through 11. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear while lying, and burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered. That you may do all these is an abomination. Has this house which is called by my name become a robber's den in your sight? Here's the picture. The people of God were living in gross sin, idolatry, and perversion. But then they would run to the temple like robbers going to their hideout. Confident they've escaped capture. Right? Robbers will go on a plundering and pillaging and robbing spree and then go to their hideout in a cave confident they've escaped capture. Well, he said that's what they're doing. They're living in sin and rebellion and wickedness and then they run to the house of God like that makes them safe. In other words, they're treating the house of God like a hideout for criminals. Jesus is saying this is effectively what you're doing. They displayed utter disregard for the court of the Gentiles. And they disregarded the worship and prayers that might have been offered there. Far from being a house of prayer for all nations, the temple had become a refuge for gangs and robbers who were abusing God's people for their own profit. Because you see these these people selling the animals and the money changers would charge exorbitant rates, taking advantage of people. So these Jews were disregarding the purpose of God's house, manipulating the, the, the people coming for worship for their own profit, like gangs on a street corner. This is what they'd done to the house of God. Now can you understand why Jesus drives them out? Do you see that? 
he comes and we know from another account that he makes a cord, a, a whip out of cords, and he begins to drive the people out. This word drive out is literally the word that Jesus, that the Bible uses when it says Jesus cast out a demon. It's the same word. It means to expel by force. He was forcing them to leave. He was so angered, righteous anger at the abuse of God's house and the corruption of the temple religious system. And I want you to notice in verse 21, notice Peter calls Jesus' attention to that fig tree again. So now think about this. We kind of got a sandwich here. Verses 12 through 14, we got the incident of the fig tree. Then right in the middle, we have Jesus driving out the people of the temple. And then in the next verse, it tells us about the fig tree again. So the temple incident is kind of sandwiched between what it says about the fig tree. What's the point? Mark is warning the readers of his gospel to see that God's judgment on this fig tree is the judgment of God on the temple. The curse Jesus has pronounced on this fig tree is the curse that is being pronounced on the temple. Understand this very clearly. Jesus' actions in clearing out the outer court of the temple, clearing out these merchants, this is not an attempt to try to chase off corrupt religious leadership and reestablish the purity of the temple. No, this is not an attempt at religious reform. This is a prophetic action that symbolizes the abolition of the temple religion. He's prophesying the destruction of the temple and the ushering in of the messianic era when Gentiles will come to faith in God and will worship Him. This is what I need you to see, church. Religion can not only be, become fruitless, it can become corrupt. Where the whole purpose of doing it to begin with has been lost. And Jesus is in the business of replacing fruitless, corrupt religious systems. Two dangers. There are two dangers here that you and I have to be aware of and avoid at all costs. The first danger is we can become all leaves with no fruit. We can become all religious activity without the real presence and power of God. That can happen in many ways. It can happen when we abandon the true gospel. When we abandon preaching the word of God the way it should be preached. When we, we abandon the practices of God's word. Doing church the way God has instructed us to. When we give in to the culture and start trying to pander to the culture so we can gather a crowd. We can easily become all leaves with no fruit. And in the same time, we can become corrupt because we get in the business of entertaining. We get in the business of trying to attract a crowd and we forget the purpose for which God has planted us here to begin with is to make disciples. And if we're not careful, we become fruitless and corrupt. And let me tell you why this is especially 
critical for us to hear the warning of this text. Because we want to see our church prosper, don't we? I do. I'm going to begin tomorrow morning at 6.30 prayer walking around this church every day. That's why we're going to start gathering in this altar praying on Sunday night before the sermon to pray for this church. On Wednesday nights, we're doing nothing but praying. We're praying the whole time, praying for the church. I want to see God do a great work at this church. But, but, whatever we do in a desire to reach people and see the church of God prosper, we cannot allow ourselves to become nothing but a center of religious activity where we're more in the business of entertaining people, more in the business of drawing a crowd, more in the business of practicing religion than we really are preaching the gospel. Are you understanding what I'm telling you? We want to get people in the house of God under the preaching of the word of God. But whatever it takes is not an appropriate motto for church growth. Are you listening to me? No, not whatever it takes. We could pass out money and fill this building every Sunday. We're not accomplishing anything for the kingdom. We could give out popcorn and show movies on the screen and probably get people to come to a service on a Sunday night. We've perverted the whole reason for having church to begin with. Right? We, we could organize the church to give lost people exactly what they want, but then we've abandoned the whole reason we exist in the first place. Are you with me? Listen, we want to reach people, but we've got to do it God's way. We can't allow ourselves to become a fruitless, corrupt church just because we want to reach people. Listen, we'd rather be faithful to the Word of God and go out of existence then we had continued to go on and thrive, but be fruitless and corrupt. Uh, do you hear what I'm telling you? Oh God, rescue us from becoming fruitless and corrupt. Let's pray.